The reading is um, taken from uh, Nehemiah 7, the first few verses of Nehemiah 7. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. Thanks, Tony. I was going to give Tony the entire 75 verses or so with the big long genealogies in it, but I thought, no, that's, that, that's, a, that's a gift we only really ever give to Zoe. So I've let you off this morning, uh, Tony. But why don't we pray, and then we will come round to the Word of God. Father God, we do thank you for your words, and we thank you, Lord God, for uh, just what's contained in it, Lord. We thank you for the fact that when we read the Bible, it in turn reads us. And as we look at these a uh, few verses that we've heard read to us today, and we consider uh, the things which we're going to learn from them today. We pray in the midst of everything we talk about that we'll hear your voice. Will you have your way this morning in Jesus' name? Amen. There was once an African king who had a real passion for hunting. And every Saturday afternoon, he would go out hunting and he would take with him one of his friends, his trusty friend and loyal servant. And they'd go out every single week and they would hunt. And every single week, the trusty friend and the loyal servant of the king would be responsible for loading the king's gun. Except this one Saturday, something went wrong. They went out as they usually did and the servant loaded the gun. But instead of firing when he was called to fire... The king had his thumb blown off in the backfire of the gun. The king was in agony. He was furious at his servant. The servant turned round to him and he said, Oh, don't worry. You've got to look for the blessings in every situation. Look for the blessings, the king said. You've just blown my thumb off. And with that, he threw his loyal servant into prison. About a year later, the king decides to go hunting again. This time he goes on his own, and foolishly, he goes to an area which is known for cannibals. He's out hunting on his own, and all of a sudden, a group of men come, and they gather around him, and they capture him. They bind him with rope, and they lead him away. Knowing that he has been incredibly foolish, and that his life is probably over, he begins to become fully remorseful about his attitudes. And as he is bound and he's led away and he's led into the village of this particular 
uh, group of people, something is noticed. It's noticed that the king doesn't have a thumb. Now, these, this group of people were extremely superstitious, and they would never kill and eat someone who wasn't totally and utterly whole. So they untied him, and they let him go on his way. Feeling even more remorseful now because of his actions, he goes to the prison where he threw his friend into a year previously. And he says, right, untie him, get him out of prison. He's a free man. And he goes to his friend and he says to his friend, I'm so sorry that I treated you in the way that I treated you. I'm so sorry that I threw you in prison just because you made a mistake. Oh, don't worry, says his friend. It's been a blessing. A blessing, said the king. How could it have been a blessing? You've been in prison for a year. You've had hardly anything to eat. You've been forced to do hard labor for this entire time. How on earth is this a blessing? Well, the man said with a smile on his face, if I hadn't been thrown in prison, I'd probably been out with you on that Saturday and met the cannibals. You know, if we look hard enough, We can see God's blessings in almost any situation that we find ourselves in in life. Even at times when we're going through something and it doesn't feel like a blessing. We have an awesome God who delights in blessing his children. And that is good news. But one of the issues for us as Christians at times is that too often we base our whole faith upon God's blessings. And that's why many Christians end up chasing after health and wealth and prosperity. That's why so often Christians will jump from church to church to church because they perceive that there's a blessing in a certain place at a certain time. So they end up going to that particular area and that particular church. There will always be times in life where God is blessing us, but there will also be times in life where God's blessings to us are a little bit less obvious. And the problem is that when we as Christians simply base our faith upon the blessings of God and chasing after the blessings of God, when life becomes hard, it's very easy to give up. I wonder how you're feeling right now. I wonder if you are totally and utterly engaged in what God is calling you to do right now. I wonder if you're totally and utterly engaged in the mission that God is calling you to be a part of. I wonder if you're totally and utterly engaged with church right now. I wonder how many people over the course of these last four, five, six, seven months, however long we have been in the situation that we find ourselves in, have found that their faith has waned, their commitment has waned, and actually, they're not in the same place that they were seven months ago when pre-coronavirus times were about. Do you remember those times? They seem a long time ago now, don't they? The blessings of God are not the end goal of the Christian life. They're a byproduct of the Christian life. The end goal of the Christian life is to have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe, to be made more like Jesus every single day. And as we read this portion of Nehemiah together today, I want us to ask the question, how do we build our lives on more than simply an experiential view of God? That when everything is going okay, yes, we'll we'll put our hands in the air and we'll sing songs of praise and everything will be wonderful. But 
Actually, when things are tough, we, we tend to back off and walk away. How can we stop that? And how can we build our lives on a firm foundation, which is Christ's? So that the times when the testing comes our way, when times like what we're experiencing now happen, suddenly we are able to stand, not because we're standing in our own strength, but we're standing in the strength of Jesus Christ and we've got our feet firmly placed upon the rock. My heart is for everyone who is in this room today and everyone who is watching online right now to go from having a shallow experience of what Jesus has done to an experience of real depth, an experience that says, whatever comes my way, I will still praise him. That we can say, as the hymn writer of old said, whatever my lot thou hast caused me to say, it is well with my soul. There is more of God than you've experienced up until this point. God wants you to have a relationship of real depth. And with that in mind, let's focus on the passage that we have just heard read together today. Hopefully, if you've been tuning into this series over the past few weeks, you would have realized that now the project was more, more or less complete. The wall had been built. They'd gone from this place hundreds of miles away, Nehemiah had, where he had a concern for the city to go back there to gather materials, to get people involved in the project, to see the project happen. They faced opposition. They faced strife and heartache along the way. But now the project was completed. Finally, the people of Jerusalem could sit back, kick back, enjoy the comfort of their new surroundings, enjoy the wall that they had built, and enjoy the city that they were part of. They could be proud of what they'd achieved. And they could rest and enjoy the comforts of their city. That would have been the obvious option for them to do at this point. That option, however, would have soon led to the walls that have been built destroyed once again by the enemies of Jerusalem. And they would have found themselves very soon living in a place of rubble and living in a place where they once were all those years ago. You know, there are many Christians who, though they have a love for Jesus Christ, have never fully grasped the depth of relationship that they could have with him because ultimately it's very easy for us to have the same attitude. Many people have prayed the prayer and they, so, so they assume that they're in the club. But the reality is nothing in their life has really changed because the mentality is great. I don't have to do anything to earn my salvation. We're saved by grace, and we're saved by grace alone. That is the scandal of grace. We don't deserve a thing. And yet, Jesus came, and he lived this perfect life, and he died a death on a cross that we deserve, that we might be free, that we might be part of God's fa family. At the cross, we receive justification. In other words, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are dealt with because Jesus paid the price when he was nailed to the cross. And if we were to look at the book of Philippians together, we would see that Paul talks about the fact that when we turn to Jesus, he starts a good work within us. But then Paul tells us it's not finished yet. That's why we still mess up. That's why we still get it wrong. That's why we still sin. But the promise is that God will complete what he started. The promise is that there will be a day where we will be Christ-like. The one day, little old you, 
with all of your hurts, with all of your hang-ups, with all of your sins, with all of your mess-ups, will be like Jesus. And over the course of your lifetime and my lifetime, God wants to sanctify us. He wants to make us more and more like his son every single day. And our role in that is not simply just to sit back and say, great, I've prayed the prayer, I'm in the club, I've got a place in heaven, it's all going to be all right. No, because anyone who has taken that stance will soon come to a realisation that the things that they once struggled with, they still struggle with. The things that once weighed them down is still weighing them down. They simply don't go away. It's very easy for a person who has taken that stance, either consciously or unconsciously, to think to themselves, well, it's okay for so-and-so who is a super holy person, but I could never really live up to what God wants me to because that's just not who I am. Nothing will ever change for me. Our role in the ongoing work of sanctification is to seek after God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our minds, and with all of our strength. Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom of heaven. In other words, put me above your friends, put me above your family, put me above your job, and put me above your money. Don't find your security and your fulfillment in the things of this world, but find them in what I have to offer. Nehemiah preempts the laxity which is going to take place in the city at this time. He realizes that people could creep into complacency. So what he does is he assigns leaders who are going to guard the city and guard the wall at the weakest points in order to keep the people safe. This idea of watchfulness is an idea which runs right through the Bible. We read in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, for example, watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. So let me ask you this morning, church, both gathered in this room and online, how are you doing right now? Honestly? How are you doing when it comes to your walk with Christ? It's been a tough few months, hasn't it? We've all probably had our faith rocked and faced disappointments over these co- the course of these past few weeks and months. We're probably all grieving for something that we once held on to so dearly. How are you doing? Are you walking closely with Jesus right now? How is your prayer life? Are you generous? Are your actions Christ-like? The good news is that becoming Christ-like is a process. And if we're completely honest, none of us are where we should be. But if you're following Jesus, the chances are you're not where you used to be either. If you're following Jesus, though you mess up and you still get it wrong and you still end up thinking, why on earth have I done that? God is changing and transforming you along the way. But you have a part to play in the transformation process. God is not calling us to sit back and to kick back and to rest in what we've got, rest in our salvation. He is calling us on a journey of sanctification where we have a part to play in order to make uh, us more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and what he is doing in our life. Scripture tells us in 1 Peter 1 and verse 16, be holy as I am holy. There's a divine imperative there. In other words, in order for us to be and to live a godly life, it's not simply about letting go and letting God. We have a part to play. We are called to be a people who live differently. 
And with that in mind, and thinking about that image from Nehemiah where the wall is built and there are guards on the wall to watch over the city, what are the borders in your life looking like right now? What is happening at your walls? Have you become relaxed and fallen into complacency? Have you allowed your faith to be compromised and to allow things which shouldn't be there to creep in? Are there weak points, I wonder, in your Christian faith and in your Christian journey where the enemy can attack you right now? Today, I believe God is saying to each and every one of us, check your borders and with my help, strengthen your walls. I want to give a very brief seven-point checklist this morning in order to help us to understand how we should examine our lives and how we should examine our walls because God doesn't want us to live in a second-rate Christian experience. God wants you and me to live an abundant life, even in a time of coronavirus. Do you know, you can live abundantly in a time where it seems like everything has been taken away from you. Just because the world is different right now does not mean Christ is not working and wants to use you and work through you. So checkpoint number one, are you soaking up God's words right now? We read these words in scripture, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. In order to experience what God has for you, it has to start with the word of God. The word of God is the primary way that God speaks to us. The word of God is the way that God keeps us from falling into sin. We read these words in Psalm 119 and verse 11. I've hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Bible also describes the word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Are you hearing God? at the moment, I wonder. Do you have an idea where God may be leading you at the moment, I wonder? Are you feeling lost at the moment? How much time are you spending, seriously spending, soaking up the word of God? Checkpoint number two this morning. Are you a person of prayer? 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 16 exhorts us to pray continually. Why is prayer important? Prayer is important for a number of reasons. It helps us to express our thanks to God for the blessings that he does give us in our lives. And by doing so, it reminds us that we're truly blessed. You know, even in a coronavirus world, we are a blessed people. Even in a world where it feels like everything has been stripped back and stripped away, God is still blessing us. Prayer gives us a platform to confess our sins to God and as a result, leave them at the foot of the cross so that we can be free. Daily prayer is an act of worship. When we gather at the moment, we can't sing, but hey, we can still pray and we can still seek God's face in prayer. Oh, and by the way, tomorrow at seven o'clock, there's a prayer meeting, which I'd love to invite you all along to, where we can come together as the family of God and we can seek God's face in prayer together. The Bible says that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. We have much to pray for as a church at the moment. It makes a point of saying, God, you are my priority. And prayer reminds us, doesn't it, who is really in control of our lives. And as a result, that's freeing. Knowing that God is ultimately in control 
can remove anxiety from a situation. That's why Paul tells us in Philippians to be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving to make our requests known unto God. Do you feel worthless right now? Do you feel weighed down right now? Do you feel out of control right now? How is your prayer life? Checkpoint number three. Are you devoted to Christ no matter what the cost? Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There'll be times in life where the road feels rocky. There'll be times in life where things don't go the way we thought or the way that we planned. There will be times in life where the situation seems hard. And the easiest thing to do at those points is to just jack everything in and just to say, well, I'm not going to bother anymore. And as a result, the easiest thing to do is to retreat from God, to retreat from the church, to retreat from what God is calling us to do, because it doesn't seem to be worth it. Someone who has his borders watched, however, realizes that in order to live a godly life, we can't be led by our feelings and emotions, but instead we have to take the attitude of Job. I'm sure you know the story of Job. Job's a man in the Bible who, in the space of a few short hours and days, had everything taken away from him. His wealth, his family, his health, everything was gone. And what did he do? He says, when falling to his knees, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. His name is worthy to be praised. How are you doing right now? Are you being led at the moment by your feelings and your emotions? Do you tend to switch off when things get tough? Checkpoint number four. Are you a person who is guided by the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5, 16 says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. The passage goes on to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A life defined by these virtues is a life guided by the Holy Spirit. How are you doing right now? How are we doing, I wonder, right now? You know, Following the Holy Spirit's call sometimes means doing things differently to our own plans. We read these words in Acts chapter 16. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit would not allow them to do so. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had this vision, we got ready and at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The result of Paul being led down a path that he didn't think that he was going down ultimately led to the world being changed. Who would have thought that we'd be here right now like this? But what if, what if the very root which is causing pain right now is the very purpose that God has to change and transform Plymouth 
with the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just Plymouth, but this country and this world. What if God is leading us down a different path in order to see his glory revealed to more people? Checkpoint number five. Is the church and God's people a priority for you? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. You know, the best way to check your borders and to check your wall is to be open to letting your brothers and your sisters in Christ check them for you and with you. But the pursuit of holiness was never meant to be a solitary pursuit. We're supposed to do it together. And the only way we can do that is by regularly meeting together and being together. In big gatherings like a church service, in smaller gatherings like life groups, maybe in one-on-one gatherings as well, where we're really speaking to each other's lives. How are your borders looking right now? Are you letting people in? Is meeting together for church a priority for you? Hey, we can't all be in the same room right now, but we can still make Make it a priority to meet together. We have the technology to be able to continue meeting together even when we can't be fully present together. Or is church, if you're honest at the moment, just another thing which gets in the way? Are small groups pivotal for you in helping you become a disciple? Or do you just go occasionally when you're not too tired? We're called to run this race together, and that means living together in community. Is church and the people of God a priority to you right now? Checkpoint number six. How are you doing when it comes to not conforming? The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're called to live our lives differently. That means living in such a way which doesn't exploit others, honouring God with our finances, not sleeping with anyone outside of the context of marriage. The question that it boils down to is a simple one. Are you willing to follow God no matter what he says? He is God and we are not. He is the creator and we are the created beings. The core issue to holiness is this. If you disagree with God on an issue, will you still submit to him? So often we're led by our feelings when it comes to submission to holiness. We don't necessarily agree with something we read in scripture. So we choose to go with our feelings rather than what the Bible says. But actually, if we're, not going, to, if we're going to be a people who conform, we have to go with God first above everything else. The Christian is called to live differently, not because God wants to deny us freedom, but because actually... God then propels us on to a greater level of freedom. Think of it like this. A young lad who has a desire to be a Premier League footballer will spend a lot of his young age just constantly kicking a ball and practicing his skills day after day for hour and hour and hour, practicing, 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 while his mates may be all out having a good time. And they might laugh at him and say, come on, put that football down. There's no need to keep practicing. Come out and have a laugh with us. Just forget about it. But the boy is so committed to what he's doing, he goes for it and practices and practices and practices. He denies himself some freedom. But 10 years later, all his friends are breaking their back in really hard manual labor jobs. And this boy's made it. He's become a Premier League footballer. He trains for a few hours in the morning and plays a game of football on a Saturday. And he has got this freedom, which is not there for his friends. 
And, you know, that's a kind of crude example, but in some ways it, it, it mirrors what happens in our life. You know, God's at times says, hey, I'm not going to allow you to do this because I want you to have a greater freedom. I'm not restricting you because I think, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a spoiled sport or a party pooper. But if you leave this alone and you follow after my will and my ways, you'll experience a freedom which goes beyond anything in this life. I'm calling you to live differently. So how are you doing? Are you living the way that God would want you to live right now? If not, the good news is there's always an opportunity to turn back to him. The Bible tells us that his mercies are new every morning. So if you found that you are off course and you're far from God, God is saying to you today, come, repent, turn to me and know the freedom that I can give. Checkpoint number seven. But before I do that, I've just seen on the chat that I said 7 a.m. when I was talking about the prayer meeting, apparently. 7 p.m. You can pray at 7 a.m. That would be great. Do that as well. But join us tomorrow night at 7 p.m. But checkpoint number seven. How are you serving right now? The ultimate goal for the Christian is to become more like Christ. That is the good work that God started within us. And what do we see when we look at the life of Jesus? Someone who did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. But he made himself of no reputation and he took on the form of a servant. It's very easy, isn't it, in a consumeristic age and a consumeristic world as Christians to adopt the attitude, well, I didn't get anything out of that, so I won't do it again, I won't go again, I won't switch on again. That didn't really feed me when our attitude needs to be the attitude of Jesus. How can I serve the people of God and the community where God has put me? Nehemiah, after months of hard graft, didn't get to the end of his building project and think, great, it's done. We can sit back and we can kick back and we can relax and eat, drink and be merry. He adopted the attitude. Let's not go through that again. Let's put things in place so this city that we are part of thrives and flourishes and you know church we are called to do the same we're saved by grace but that's not the end of the story it's just the start and Jesus calls us to live lives which honor him which help us to conform to his will and his ways and make us more like Christ how are you doing right now maybe over this time actually you have found yourself drifting off to a place maybe you never thought you would be in. You know, this God that we worship, the God that we serve, doesn't move. He's still there. He always has been, and he always will be. It's us that move off course. It's us that move away from him. And today the call is simple. Turn back to him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus again. Look full in his wonderful face. Then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We're going to finish our time together soon. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And as we sing our final song together today, I want to give us all the opportunity, really, just to come back once again to God and say, here I am, Lord. So whether you're in the room or you're watching online, let's take this moment to examine ourselves, to examine our borders, 
and ask God the question, God, where are my weak points right now? Where am I allowing the enemy in? Will you help me to strengthen? Why don't we stand if you're in the room? And we're going to sing, let the king of my heart. And I want to encourage you today to allow this song to be a prayer for you. May he be the one that we run to. Father God, for all of those people who are with us right now, who are in the room and who are watching online, we pray, Father God, that you will help us to be truly honest about where our weak points are in our walls. As David prayed, Lord, will you search us? Will you gently show us those areas which are at the moment maybe not honouring you? And may we strengthen today. Holy Spirit, will you strengthen us? Will you show us, Lord God, how you are calling us to be in this different world right now? Holy Spirit, will you come and meet with us? And will you meet with those watching online too? In Jesus' name, amen.